righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge, self-control and self-control, perseverance and to perseverance, godliness and to godliness, brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these things in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone doesn't have them, he's short-sighted and blind and has forgotten he's been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never fall and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as I say, we've, we've been looking at this uh, short passage, but really it's packed full of goodness, packed full of uh, things which Peter is trying to encourage us and exhort us in. Just a, a quick reminder at the start of uh, what we're building on, because otherwise we can just take a, the odd verse uh, in the middle of it and think, okay, we, we don't quite get the context. We don't quite get the full understanding of what Peter is saying. So the first four verses here are really important. The first four verses tell us what God has done for us. Because much of the rest of it is talking about what we are going to do, what our response is, uh, what our action is. And if we just look at uh, what we do, we can think that that's what Christianity is all about. It's about what we do. No. First of all, we see in verse 1 that we've been justified. We've been made right with God through the work that Jesus did. It's all about his work for us. It's all about the great exchange, giving uh, us receiving Christ's divine nature and us, him taking on board our sinfulness and the punishment for our sins. He says in verse 1, um, to those who through the righteousness of God, our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. It's through Jesus' righteousness, it's through Jesus' goodness that we've received this faith. Not through anything we've done ourselves. We can't earn uh, righteousness from God. We can't earn favor with God. It's through Jesus' righteousness. And then Peter goes on and says that we've been born again. Or um, Peter says we participate in the divine nature. That's verse 4. We participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. In other words, the Holy Spirit is at work in us to change us. We're being regenerated. Regenerated. Doctor Who gets regenerated, doesn't he? Uh, he goes through a regeneration every so often. And uh, it's the same person. It's still Doctor... Well, it's, it's made up. But uh, <laughs> if he was real. It's the same... <laughs> it's the same person, but different. Still the Doctor, actually very different in personality. And uh, that's, what, that's what God does with us. He regenerates us. We're still the same person. I'm still Mark. I was still Mark when I came to know God. But actually, the Holy Spirit in me changes me. My personality changed. My character changed. My desires changed as well to some extent. So Peter is saying there's a work going in us with, by our relationship with God. It's God who initiates. It's God it's the Holy Spirit that flows in us and out of us. But we work together with God. Peter's now encouraging us in these verses from verse 5 onwards, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. So there's a response that we have. And it's a bit like pedaling a bike. It's as responding to God. So God works. God works in us. He brings us uh, righteousness. He justifies us. He uh, starts to change us by his Holy Spirit, and we respond to that. We work to respond to that, our outworking of what God has done. God initiates, we respond. God leads, we follow, uh, working together with God. And so, Peter said, make every effort to add to your faith. Though we saw last time, a good definition of that, a good translation of that would be, furnish your faith. 
He talks about it being like a house, that our, ourselves being like a house of, uh, that we were furnishing. We were saying, God has given us all of this. Now we're going to furnish it. What are we going to put in this house? What are we going to add to this? And we're adding qualities or fruits of the Spirit into our life. And of course, that's the work of the Holy Spirit too. It's not just us doing it in our own strength. But there is an effort. There is a working that we give towards that. So last time we looked at the first two. Uh, we looked at uh, goodness, that had to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge. And today we're going to look at the next two in that list, uh, which are both in verse 6 which is uh, self-control and perseverance. Self-control and perseverance. So do you know that as a follower of Jesus, we are at war? Are you aware of that? Are you aware that as a follower of Jesus, we're actually at war? And we're fighting this war on two different fronts. We're fighting this war within, and we're fighting the war without. And our enemy, who is the devil wants us to give in. He wants us to back down. He wants us to be defeated. And so there's things going on inside of us and there's things going on outside of us. And this is where self-control and perseverance come in. This is why we're developing those things because self-control is talking about how we handle the things that are going on within us, the secret things that are going in within us, the temptations that are going on inside of us. And perseverance is how we handle life when there are external pressures, external battles to be fought. So those are the two things that we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this battle. We're going to look at this war that's going on within us and outside of us. And the enemy is fighting against us and wanting us to give in. He's wanting us to back down. So it's very relevant to look at this battleground, these two different areas. First of all, The pressure from within and our response to that being self-control. Self-control. We all know that we have got temptations going in us all of the time. Inward temptations going on all the time. Now we know the truth. Many of us, we, we, we know the truth that God has brought us into a relationship with him. God has brought us into this living relationship with him. And we've got a new nature. The Bible tells us we have a new nature. We've been set free from the power of sin. Sin no longer holds us in slavery. We've looked at this over previous weeks. We've seen how Paul has talked about how we used to be uh, slaves to sin. But now we've been set free from that slavery. We don't have to live in that way any longer. We don't have to obey what sin tells us to do. Sin's no longer our master. We're free. And Paul encourages us now, with that freedom, choose to be slaves to righteousness. Give yourselves to righteousness. But whilst we still live on earth, we're still in our fleshly body. And the Bible, the New Testament, talks about our fleshly body and the temptations that we will face. And there are very real temptations. Temptations that we will each know about. Temptations... Uh, to, to feed our bodies with things or to do things which will give us quick highs, quick boosts, quick um, pleasure, moments of pleasure. And that can be legal things or it can be illegal things. It could be things like drugs, it can be alcohol, temptations to uh, eat or chocolate or drink Red Bull, temptations to, uh, to indulge in uh, sex outside of a married relationship, temptations to feed our satisfaction by going shopping, um, temptations to trust in our own ability and provide for ourselves rather than trusting God uh, to provide, temptations to give in to the fear of man. What are people going to think about me? Oh, I don't know. Temptation, actually, just to be proud and not to humble ourselves and to, and to recognize our position in, in our relationship with God. Outside of God... We've got all of those things motivating us, and they're still affecting us today. We still will experience those temptations to different extents, even as believers of Christ. Yes, we've been set free. Yes, we don't have to give in to them any longer. But that battle is still raging on within us. Outside of God, obviously, these things are the main motivators for people in life. They're the main things. People are looking for pleasure. And they will look to different things to give them pleasure and whatever that might be. 
And of course, there has to be some controls in society. We can't just let people do whatever they want. Whatever gives them pleasure, oh, you just go ahead and do it. Because there are some things that will obviously then bring harm to other people or bring harm to society or even bring harm to themselves. And so in society, we have restrictions. We have legislation. We have some controls put in place. Those controls might be laws. They might be boundaries that we'll set, maybe set with our our children. There might be punishments that we have or incentives to act in a certain way or deterrence to act in a certain way or disapproval. But whatever it is, there are things which need to control us in some ways. And we are controlled in our society. How do we know that that is the case? Well, we know that's the case because if you asked someone, for example, if you asked someone a question, you said, I tell you what, I have got here an invisibility cloak. Now, apparently, that, apparently invisibility cloaks exist in the world of Harry Potter, I think, although I've not read that. But I've got an invisibility cloak. I can give you this. You can put on this invisibility cloak. No one will see you. No one will know what it is that you do. Okay? What is it that you're going to do? What are you going to do with this invisibility cloak? What sort of things are you going to spend your time doing? And if people were honest, or even, even if they didn't tell us, they, people would do far more than they do now in society. They would be doing things that actually they know this isn't right, that society will put restrictions on, whatever that might be. And for different people, it would be different things. But the reason that we don't do those things is because we've not got an invisibility cloak, because we can't get away with it, because we can't do certain things. There are controls over our lives. We saw some, uh, some of what happened in the UK a few years ago when there was seemingly no control. We started having riots going on in our cities. It started in London, many other cities across the country. People were rioting because it suddenly seemed the police have got no control. The police can't do anything about this. There's too much going on. And then you'd, you'd read in the news, oh, there's certain people. They have very respectable lives. Oh, they're, they're top students, always done the right thing. And suddenly they're going off and robbing petrol stations or robbing shops. Why are they doing that? Because the restrictions have been taken away. People can look very moral on the outside, very upstanding, very upright. Actually take away the restrictions and all sorts of things will happen. So our society has those controls over us. But what about us? What about us if we're believers? What about us if we're Christians? We now realize that those things are at war with us. 1 Peter, the first letter that Peter wrote in chapter 2, explains this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, you're not like other people in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter's encouraging believers, don't go this way. Don't get involved in the things that other people do. Don't, you've got to wage war against these things which are waging war against your soul. These simple desires, they're still going on. Christians aren't immune from them. Peter's addressing them to to believers. Wage war against them. They're waging war against us. So each one of us, there'll be an element of that going on in us. No one can see it. It's going on inside us. No one can see what's happening. But it is happening. It's happening to us. It's happening to others here. Paul in Colossians chapter 3 says we need to put these things to death. We need to finally put them to death. Colossians 3 and verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourself of all such things, such as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge of the image of, uh, in the image of its creator. 
Okay, so and, and he'll go on and say, therefore, clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, kindness, and patience. There's a choice to be made. It's, it's like the enemy's been defeated. Jesus has defeated the enemy. We've been set free. We can, we can finally put to death these things, but we have to put them to death. It's like David when he killed Goliath. It's the bit that you don't get in many of the stories of David and Goliath, isn't it? You get this whole thing of David, he gets the stoning, and, and Goliath falls. But he's still alive. David has to get the sword, and he chops his head off. He finally puts it to death. And the enemy has been defeated. The enemy is lying wounded. We have got the power. We don't, we're, not in, we're not controlled by him anymore. We're not controlled by these sinful desires. We don't have to be. But Paul and Peter are saying, put it to death. Come on, deal a final blow to it. Don't just use your freedom to sort of mess about with these things. Oh, we're free now. Fantastic. Well, we can, we can just go and, and toy with them. Oh, you know, but they, they've got no power over us. But let's indulge a little bit. Paul and Peter are saying, no, you don't do that. Put them to death, finally. You can take the clothing off. You can take off that clothing of anger and rage and malice and filthy language and lust and greed. Take it off. Take off your old self. You're able to do it now. You can put on your new self. We've got a choice to make. We can still choose. We can still choose to go the other way. And we've got these temptations which can sometimes make us think, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give in to this. And sometimes even Christian teaching or false Christian teaching, false teachers can say, it's okay. You're forgiven anyway. It doesn't matter. You can get involved in all this stuff, in all this mess, and it won't matter because we're forgiven. Well, praise God that we're forgiven. Praise God that there's forgiveness. But that's not a reason to get involved in all of this stuff. It's not a reason to just Get back into it. That's what, that's what Peter was saying. We were looking at it last time. You know, it's like, he says it's like a dog going back to its own vomit. It's disgusting. You don't want to know. Stay away from it. Don't listen to that teaching. We couldn't put these things to death before. We had no power to do it. We needed this control. So we relied on the, on the forces and the external forces of, of the law or even the Old Testament law. Or the law of the land. But Peter's now saying, now we can be self-controlled. We can be self-controlled. Not controlled from outside. Not because of laws don't need to control us anymore. We don't need a list of rules and regulations of what we should and shouldn't do anymore. We've been set free from that. That's legalism. We're not impressing God because of keeping the law. Actually, we're controlled because of the spirit in us. The spirit within us, encouraging us to live in a certain way, being self-controlled, self-controlled. And as Christians, we learn to be self-controlled as followers of Jesus, allowing the spirit within us. And we, we need to be, be careful that we don't just replace one set of external controls and restrictions for another. So sometimes people say, oh, do you know what? In order to be, live a godly life, I, I, need to, I need to have an accountability group. I need to meet up with someone and, and they're going to ask me these questions all the time and, and I've, got to, I've got to live in these ways. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying those things can't sometimes be helpful. They might be helpful. But if we just rely on things like accountability groups, what are we relying on? We're relying on external controls again. And we can think we're doing okay. Oh, I've set up, I've set up these, um, these, these, these uh, parental restrictions on my computer. So I can't access things anymore. You know, okay, it's supposed to be so kids don't know about it. But I'm going to set it up for myself and so I can't access this, this pornography. Okay, but have you dealt with the things going on in your heart? Because otherwise that can just be external control. That's another thing that you're putting in there. It, it, it could be a very helpful thing to do. But don't think that that's the job done. That's not the job done. Because it's what's going on in our hearts that we need to develop. Self-control. Control so that the spirit within us is guiding us and is controlling us. Because those external things are fine, but what about when we're on our own? What about when we suddenly find we've got access to a computer without those controls? Oh, great. No one else about. Then what? Then what? Peter's saying we can control ourselves when no one else is looking. 
because we've got God's spirit in, inside us. We can put on this new clothing. So self-control, self-control, being able to deal with the battle that's going on inside of us. And that battle, as that's going on inside of us, that can cause us, if we give in to things all the time, it can cause us to just be despondent. It can cause us to back off. It can cause us to be defeated. We can come together into a place of worship and we can be joining with us and we come and think, how can I worship God? Because I know what's going on. I know what's going on in my hearts and in my lives. And I know these things that I'm doing in secret. And I can't praise God. And it can, it can just shut us down. Shut us down from our life. You know, we, we start to back off from church even. Oh, I, don't, I just don't want to be about these people because I just, I just feel bad when I'm about these other people. Oh, I'm just going to back off a little bit. I'll, I'll make some excuse. I'll say I'm too busy. Oh, I'll say there's too much going on in my life. Or I'll say, oh, I need to focus a bit more on my family. Or actually, I, I've got to give myself to my work, my job. And we back off and we back off. And it's all excuses. But the reason we're doing it is because we know what's going on inside of us. We don't want anyone else to know what's going on inside. And we just, we just feel defeated. We feel defeated. I can't do it anymore. That's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants to take us out. There's a war going on. Peter's saying, come on, let's be self-controlled. Let's learn self-control with the spirit within us. And we can encourage each other in that. And we'll, we'll see more about that encouragement later on. So that's the internal battle can happen on that front. But the battle can happen on another front as well. We've got the battle going on inside of us, but we can also have the battle going on externally. Things that are happening, things, opposition, persecution, attack, suffering. The letters that Peter writes, 1 and 2 Peter, were written to people who are living in a very similar culture to ourselves. People were struggling. People were in need of encouragement. And that's why Peter writes the letter. There was some level of opposition to them in their faith. It wasn't, on the whole, outright persecution. It wasn't state persecution. It wasn't like, you believe in Jesus, that's it, we're going to arrest you, we're going to put you in prison, we're going to kill you. At the time that Peter was writing these letters, that probably wasn't going on. It was probably a bit more like what goes on in our society. A bit more of a kind of social opposition. People being ostracized. Um, people not accepting uh, Christians for who they were, saying that they were intolerant. People saying, okay, it's all right. You're welcome to follow Jesus. You're welcome to worship Jesus. As long as, you know, it doesn't affect too much of your life. As long as it doesn't affect us. Um, as long as you recognize that all other religions are equally as valid as yours. Okay, you choose to worship Jesus. But, but you've got to say, you know, you can't start making claims to it being the way, the truth, and the life. Never mind that Jesus might have said that about himself, but, but no, no, no. We can't say that because there's these other religions and we've got to say they're equally as valid. Uh, and, and, and we've got to value them just as much. And, and don't start evangelizing. Don't start telling people, especially don't start evangelizing people who belong to other religions. They've got their faith. Why would you want to take that faith away from them and replace it with your faith? No, you can't do that. So it's that kind of society, that kind of community. Oh, come on. You, you mean you're not going to start taking part in, in customs? You're not going to take part in things that are just part of society? You know, there, there were, uh, you know, you've got to be non-judgmental. Keep your beliefs private. Don't let them affect your life. But the thing is, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have been changed. We have been born again. And so uh, these, these followers of Jesus that, that Peter was writing to, they did stop doing some of the things that they used to do. So we see it in First in Peter again. In First Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. This is what Peter's saying to these people, to these believers. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he doesn't live the rest of his earthly life for evil desires, but rather for the will of God. So he's saying, you're not going to follow these desires. Then Peter says, for you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. He says, you've used to live like that. 
And then he says, they think it's strange that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. You've changed. You're not doing those same things that you used to do. And people are like going, why aren't you doing that anymore? Why aren't you coming down the club with us anymore? Why aren't you, why aren't you getting drunk anymore? Why aren't you taking those drugs anymore? And what's their response? Verse 4, and they heap abuse on you. They heap abuse on you. So there's a change in behavior of Christians. They're not doing the same things that they used to do. Their drinking mates suddenly aren't very happy that they've lost their buddy who they used to go around with. The ex-boyfriend isn't very happy that, that their girlfriend suddenly got saved and decided, well, I'm not going to live with you anymore. I'm not going to sleep with you anymore. I'm going to change. What do you mean? What, what's, what's going on? What's this? Why is this Christianity affecting your life like this? And so abuse starts coming. And then there, there were city-wide events that used to go on. City-wide events that used to go on uh, that had some elements of God and goddess worshipping them. And Christians started to say, I'm not going to join in those things. I'm not going to take part in those events. They're they're supposed to bring the whole community together. You know, so everyone does that. Everyone celebrates Halloween or whatever it might be. Oh, come on, what are you playing at? What do you mean you're not going out? Why aren't you going out and joining in that? It's only a bit of fun. Actually, some believers, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Some, Some Christians in their workplace started saying, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do those same things before. So then they're getting persecution. They're losing their jobs because they're refusing to go along with things like that. Family customs that people had. And their families are saying, well, why are you not doing that? Why aren't you going along with our normal family customs? Well, actually, because, because I, I, don't, I don't feel comfortable with anymore. So these Christians were, were basically being seen, seen as weirdos, seen as freaks, thought just to be taking Jesus far too seriously. So they get mocked and they get ostracized or they get penalized in their workplaces or they get cast out of their families because they wouldn't endorse some of those activities. Like, Come on, keep your faith private. Leave, leave your faith at the, work, at the door of your workplace. Of course, Christians can't do this. And to be honest, the believers that Peter was writing to were getting worn down by it, getting worn down by it. And we can face all of these battles too. We can face opposition from our unbelieving family. We can face opposition from our workplace when we just hear the jokes that are going on the whole time about, about us and, and about believers. And you just think, oh, no. And it, it, it saddens our hearts and it, it just bombards us. When we stand against culture, we can get worn down. When we, we refuse to do the same things as our work colleagues or our friends at school. No, I'm not going to go there. Oh, right. Well, if you're not going to go with it, I don't want to be friends with you then. Oh, no. We're losing our friendships over it. When single people are laughed at for, for not jumping into the next relationship or, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go out with this person or having sex outside of marriage. What are you playing at? Why are you not doing that? And they're just mocked and laughed at. When Christians do refuse to take part in things like Halloween and I've written a whole, I've written a whole blog post on Halloween and I'm, I'm not saying it's a simple thing, but actually many Christians just feel, I can't take part in this. For good reasons and, and people are, are just laughing at them. Sometimes even other Christians saying, oh, you know, you're just coming over as some sort of freak yourself. When, when wives and mothers make decisions, no, I'm gonna stay at home. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna bring up my kids at home. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna go down, uh, following a professional career, but I'm going to do that. That's my decision. And, and again, other Christians might make other dis- different decisions. But if you make that decision, then you could just have other people, friends saying, what are you doing? You're making a big mistake. Why are you living your life like that? Why are you going that way? University students just getting mocked by their professors for their faith. I remember you know, my very first lecture at university, biblical studies I was doing, very first lecture, my, my lecturer, he got the Bible, he stood it up on the, on the table. And he says, you know, he says, sometimes people say God speaks to them through the Bible. And he went up to it and he went, I can't hear anything. So that's dealt with that one. Now let's get on to teaching. And you just think, wow, just straight away, whew, undercutting so many of us there who have, oh, and it hurts. You can think, no, 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 I'm not going with that. I'm believing that. But it's an attack. The arrows, they're coming. 
Different places, different times. You know, we might decide, no, no, no. I actually, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get my, I'm not going to get my baby baptized, my infant baptized. Families going, well, you know, you need to baptize them. Maybe families who are, who are different, different views on it, Catholics maybe, or maybe people who don't even go to church, who just think that's the traditional thing to do. Why aren't you getting your kid baptized? Well, actually, I, I don't see it in the Bible. I, I you know, I, I see believers baptism in the Bible. Oh, what? You can't do that. You know, just opposition, battles going on everywhere. And we can get worn down by it. So many things going on in our society and around us. Not big things. Not people saying, if you come to worship on a Sunday, you're going to get arrested. But just these things going on time and time again. And and we can get tempted to compromise. We can just think, oh, do you know what? I'm just going to fit in. It's too much. It's too much going against the flow all the time. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go with them for a bit. It's much easier to go with the rest of the flow of society. And, and sometimes we can even find believers in the church who, who will encourage us in that or, uh, or, or in, in, in just going along with things that we, in ourselves, we just think, I don't know if I should do this. Oh, you know, it's okay. You can do it. It's missional. It's missional. That's a bit of a catch-all word at the moment. It's missional. Just, just go along with it. Okay. Being missional, whatever that does mean, doesn't mean that we just go along with what everyone else does. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful, but it's a battle. We see in Romans chapter 14, Paul talking uh, about this kind of thing. And he's, he's talking, this whole chapter, we haven't got time to look at the whole chapter, he's talking about the weak and the strong. He's talking about people in the church. And he's saying, actually, in the church, there are some people who know they've got freedom to do certain things. They might know, actually, I've got, I've got the freedom. I, I can. I've been set free. I'm not under law. So it's not like I, I can't go to a nightclub. I've got freedom to go to a nightclub. In the past, actually, there was, there was legalist, and some, some churches today, legalistic churches, oh, Christians, they can't go to a nightclub. You can't go to the cinema. You can't do that, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. See, that's not biblical. Biblical is we've got freedom. We can. Because we've got the spirit inside us and we go with what, with what we feel we've got faith for. We act out of faith. So we might go and we might think, actually, there are temptations going on around me, but I feel I can resist that. And, and I've got friends with me and actually I, can, I feel I can even, maybe even be a witness into this situation. I feel I can bring God into this situation. I feel I can be salt and light. And that's okay. With some, with some things, you, there's freedom to do that. But Paul's pointing out, he says, look, not everyone else is feeling that. The things that you feel you've got freedom to do, other people might not feel they've got freedom to do. And, and Paul is saying, look, accept him whose faith is weak, he calls it, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat anything. Another man whose faith is weak only eats vegetables. The man who eats everything mustn't look down on him who doesn't. Okay, now he, they're talking about food laws and things like that here. It's not, it's not like saying vegetarians, are, are, you know, a weak and, and meat eaters are strong per se. But, but he's saying, look, you might have faith to go with something. It's okay. God's made all food clean. There's nothing that's unclean. I can indulge, I can eat those things and be grateful to God for those things. Other people are saying, oh, I don't know if I can do that. You know, alcohol, similar thing. There's a freedom. We, there's freedom to drink alcohol for some people. Some people feel, I've got the freedom to do that. That's okay. Other people think, I can't do that. Actually, that's just going to lead me into temptation. That's just going to get me into a mess. That's okay. What Paul is saying is, don't be judging people. Don't, if you feel you've, you've got the freedom to do things, don't start saying to other people, why aren't you doing that? You're free to do that. You can have alcohol. No one's saying you can't. Actually, Paul's saying, you're going to cause people to stumble. You're going to cause other believers to stumble in their faith. They're going to end up doing things that they don't feel they can do. He's saying, you know, you need to stop passing judgment. Verse 13, let's stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. He says, as one who's in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced that no food's unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him, it is unclean. If your brother's distressed because of what you eat, 
You're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating, your freedom, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider to be good to be spoken of as evil. He's he's saying, you know, you, you need to be careful with your freedom. As believers, we need to be careful of our freedom. We may, we may fully understand we're free to do that. We're free to do that. We're free to live in this way. But we've got to be really careful. I would say especially with things like, like Facebook, because, because Facebook is, is just so public. You know, you can put something on the church Facebook page. It goes to anyone in the church who might have signed up to Facebook. And you don't know what they're struggling with and what their weaknesses are. So, so putting something up like, uh, I don't know, oh, hey, we're having a trip out to see this film, whatever film it might be. Now, that might be a film that you are perfectly happy and, and comfortable with going to see. Great. Other people might not be. And they might see that and just think, oh, oh gosh, you know, I, I'm going to struggle with that. I, I don't know. But it just starts to play in their mind. Maybe it's okay to see that. For them, it might not be. For them, it might not be. So just... We just need to be careful with the publicness of Facebook. Because we, we, when we're in a one-to-one conversation, we, we talk differently to different people. We encourage people in different things. Paul's saying, just be careful. Just be careful that your freedom doesn't cause other people to stumble. There's a war going on. And there's an attack going on from all different areas and from outside and from our culture and from our society. And actually in the church, the church is where we need to be strong. The church is where we need to be encouraging and supporting each other. The church is where we need to be standing unified. And if actually in the church there's some of this temptation coming, that's just destroying other believers. We need to be careful. Peter, though, is talking here about perseverance perseverance, the ability to keep on going and not give up when things get tough. And if we're living a Christian life devoted to following Jesus, it will be tough. If we're following Jesus, life will be tough. If you thought that life when you became a Christian was going to get easier, let me enlighten you. It's not. It won't. If you think, oh, I didn't sign up for this. I'm I'm having all these problems now and all these difficulties. Yeah. That's what the Bible told us we're going to have. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will face persecution. Yes, God, I hold on to that promise. It's not, you don't hear many people holding on to that one too much. It's a promise. We will be persecuted. We will face this opposition if we want to live a godly life. We can fool ourselves if we think Christian life is going to be easy. We need to prepare ourselves for battle. We need to prepare ourselves for war. It's not a case of sitting in our armchair and enjoying the rest of our life. There's a war going on, and we are at the sharp end of it. You know, we can fool ourselves about many things. If you think, if you think life is going to be easier when you get married, if you're a single and you think life is going to be easier when you get married, let me tell you, it won't. It's not just my opinion. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 28, what does he say? If you don't marry, he's talking to single people, if you don't marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Paul is saying, do you know what? If, you, if you're really struggling with being single, fair enough, get married. But he says, you know, it's tough. I, I want to I help you with this. You know, maybe you'd be better off not if you want an easier life. So, you know, those who marry will face many troubles. If you get married, there's, there's difficulty. There's opposition. We, we just need to be aware of this. You know? If I'm disillusioning you, Sorry. But you shouldn't have got illusioned in the first place. (laughs) We're going to need perseverance. We're going to need to be persevering. Perseverance isn't a quality which is prized very much these days. It's not prized very much in our society. A lot of parents, they don't teach their kids to persevere. You know, the the kids are like trying something. Oh, I don't want to do this. It's too tough. Oh, it's okay, love. 
you can, you don't need to do that. You can stop doing that. We'll do something else that you can do. You never teach people to persevere. There's, there's generations who have been brought up never learning how to persevere. And so, is it a surprise that we get a generation of people who just, who just give up on things? You just quit. Why do so many marriages end? People give up on them. People don't persevere on them. Oh, it's too difficult. Oh, we don't need to carry on. There's a way out. Even society, oh, we'll make, we'll make divorce a bit easier now. It's okay. You don't need to persist with it. You don't need to carry on with it. You try someone else. We've got a generation of people who don't like to put the hard work in and the effort in. They want to find shortcuts. Actually, in the church, we need to be different. We need to encourage each other in perseverance. We need to encourage our children in perseverance as well. I would say, if you're bringing up kids, encourage them to persevere with something. Don't let them give up too easily. Not too easily. Because you want to encourage people to, oh, it's getting tough, but do you know what? We're going to press on through. Because it's a good quality to have. We need to encourage each other to persevere. Hebrews chapter 10 is about encouraging each other. Verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's not give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing. Let's encourage one another. And all the more as, the, as you see the day approaching. What, what's the writer talking about here? He's, he's not talking about just encouraging each other in terms of saying, oh, you look nice today. Oh, this, this is a really nice meal. Oh, great, I feel really encouraged about that. Oh, that's a really, you know, that free kick that you took, fantastic. Really good. You're really good at doing that. That's not, I mean, it's good to do that. That's nice. That's nice, isn't it? But that's not the encouragement that the writer of the Hebrews is talking about. He's not saying meet together so we can bolster each other's egos. He's saying meet together so that you can encourage each other with the battle that is going on. You can encourage each other in our faith. We can encourage each other um, in living a godly life because life is tough and we need that encouragement. We need that encouragement from God and we need that encouragement from each other. We've got the spirit living in us so we can, so we can work living in another way, in a different way, but... It's tough to stand on our own. The temptation to give up is very real. Sometimes the onslaught can just be so great. Whatever it is that we're facing, it can just seem overwhelming. It might just be sickness or marriage problems or persecution or issues with our kids. And we've got to just think, we've got to carry on. We've got to keep on carrying on. It can be like it's just fierce. That's what Peter's talking about in, in his first letter in chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. He says, be self-controlled. That's what we've talked about already. And alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. He's linking the two things in again here. So the self-control. Self-control, what's going on inside yourself. But he's also, this bit about the devil and the, and the lion, that's not really talking about temptation. Sometimes we think it is. Sometimes we read that and we think, oh, the, the enemy's tempting us to do these things. Yeah, we will face temptations. But I, I think that, that, that what Paul Peter's talking about here is about something a lot more obvious. He says, this is a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This isn't a lion. You know, if you've watched the nature programs, haven't you? If you've got a, an animal that's about to be eaten by a lion, what doesn't the lion do? It doesn't roar, does it? I'm, you know, I'm coming up near you. Ah, I'm off. You know, you run. You know, actually, the lion who's looking for someone to devour by subtle and temptation and things like that is creeping up. Take us by surprise. Not saying anything, as quiet as anything. This lion is roaring. This lion is full on in your face, scary stuff. Whoa! And it's opposition. It's opposition because Peter's saying, you know, you can stand firm. One of the things that we help that helps us is knowing that brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same sort of suffering. 
So we can be facing this onslaught of suffering and, and, and trouble in our lives. We think, how can we carry on? How can I carry on this with, with my faith? How can I resist this? It's, it's going on at work. It's going on at home. My family are against me. It's all full on. It's like this lion roaring in my face. And, and Peter's saying, do you know what? It's happening to many, many others as well. You're not the only one. You're not on your own. No, I feel like I'm on my own. I feel like it's all opposition. No, you're not on your own. We need each other's encouragement. Our enemy wants to devour us. He wants us to give up. And this opposition can seem relentless. It can overwhelm our faith with fear and pain. It can destroy our faith that God even cares or has any power to help or even exists. We might think, I can't even see God in this. That's what Satan wants to happen. That's why Peter says the lion's roaring. It's a savage power to destroy our faith. He's looking to devour us. Peter says, look, other Christians, other believers, they're facing the same things. In many parts of the world, actually, the opposition and the persecution is far stronger than here. I've just been reading an amazing book. I'm going to try and get it in the bookshop and we'll recommend it. But an amazing book just about Christians around the world who are facing persecution for their faith and just the strength that comes from God in it. Do you know why I read that book? And I was just, it just causes you to worship. Actually, when we read about suffering, it's not a dep- and, and persecution of other believers. It's not necessarily a depressing thing. Oh man, persecution, suffering. Oh. Actually, it can lift our spirits towards God. Wow, God's at work. We can worship him. You know, resisting the devil, standing firm and resisting the devil doesn't mean that the enemy can't kill us. You know, this onslaught, the persecution can be fierce. And it it can lead to death. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to death. And I will give you the crown of life. Some people will face persecution and suffering and death. It doesn't mean the enemy can't kill us. Actually, what, he, what it means is he can only kill us. That's all that he can do. That's the worst he can do. And what happens then? We receive a crown. We receive reward from God. We receive eternal life. That's all the enemy can do. Death has lost its sting. This lion who's roaring and roaring at us, he's not got a real bite we sing that wonderful song that, that has been adapted by um, Andy Dye and, and Tom Davis, you know. Victory, victory. Jesus won the victory. There's that line in it that they've, they've written. A lion that roars but has no bite. Death was beaten, put to flight. I won't fear this enemy for King Jesus pulled its teeth. We've got a lion who's roaring and roaring at us. But what can he do? He can only kill us. Actually, what he wants to do is, is, is make us back down, is make us back away, is make us say, I'm walking away from my faith. I've had enough of this Christianity thing. It's too tough. The Bible is full of encouragement to us. Keep persisting. Keep on pressing on. Encourage each other. Meet together. We need each other. We don't want to be the opposition. We want to be the support to each other. And, he, and, and Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 and 16, don't lose heart. Outwardly, we're wasting away, yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Light and momentary? It's full on, roaring in my face. No, light and momentary troubles. They're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So let's not fix our eyes on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what's seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's encouragement for us. We've got, the, we've got the spirit within us. We can keep on running the race. We can keep on fighting the battle. Battle on two fronts, self-control, perseverance. Let's keep going. It can be tough. You know, I, I've, been on, I've been on one of these treadmill things that you get in the gym. Man, dear me. You're going along. Oh, 20 minutes, 20 minutes. I'll set this for 20 minutes. You're going. After five minutes, you're like, 20 minutes? And then, and then, and then you, you know, it's eight, nine minutes in, you, I'm struggling. I, I, such a temptation. Push the stop button. That's it. I'll do. I'll do. 
No, we keep on going. We keep on going. How do we keep on going to the end? Actually, sometimes it's not good to look at, oh, of all these things, 12 minutes to go. You know, the way I keep going, oh, kept going. <laughs> the way I kept going. Right, I'm going to get through the next minute. I'm going to get through the next, right. Okay, now, I'm on 10 minutes. I'm halfway. Now, I'm on the, I'm on the final stretch. Now, I'm heading. You know, you keep telling yourself. Paul says, keep on going. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, um, he says he, he doesn't, he doesn't beat the air. There's a fight going on. He says, don't you know, in a race, all the runners run. Only one gets the prize. Run to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that won't last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. He says, therefore, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. He says, I, I beat my body. I make it my slave. There's temptations going on all around me. I'm not just like, whatever. No, I'm going to discipline myself. I'm going to beat my body. I'm going to stand against these temptations so that after I've preached to myself, preached to others, I myself won't be disqualified from the prize. He's saying, you know, he's preaching these messages to others. He knows the need to make sure he's living a godly life. We're just preaching it. He's got to live it. We've got to live it. We can discipline ourselves. We can train ourselves. We can stand together. We have such strength ourselves, in ourselves. Let's not just be lazy. We need to encourage each other. We need to strengthen each other. The people here will be struggling with major things in life. They'll be facing major opposition. We can encourage them. How? With the truth of the word of God. Not just try, oh, it'll be okay in the end. Oh, I'll pray it'll go away. Actually, that opposition may not go away. Actually, we may just need to encourage each other to stand. To stand, to walk, to move together as one. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit as well. We've got a great prize set before us. Let's encourage each other. Self-control, perseverance. We can win the battle. We can win the prize. Let's pray.